Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of Catching Up With Cub. Today, we're not catching up with Cub members. We're catching up with our partner club, the CEO Club Ukraine. Last week, I hosted a very uh, intimate conversation between members of the CEO Club Ukraine and members of Cub. And the purpose of it was to hear firsthand what the Ukrainian people are going through and what is happening to bring more awareness to the crisis happening in the Ukraine and, of course, bring more support. Uh, Our members heard the intimate stories of fellow business owners and how they are protecting their people and supporting their country and keeping their businesses afloat all at the same time. It was truly inspiring to hear and it really put any of our adversities into perspective. The Cub community has supported the Ukrainian people by donating. We've actually got the link on our website, which is cub.club forward slash podcast. You will find the link there. The charity is created actually by the CEO Club Ukraine and managed by them. So your money is in good hands and it is a humanitarian uh, charity that goes towards, basically your money is going to go to mostly women and children who have been left without husbands and fathers and without homes having to flee uh, war zones and, and, and just So the fact that these brave business owners have uh, come online with us and are helping support their country, I think is an inspiration and I hope you all support them too. Please note the sound quality is not what you're used to uh, with Catching Up With Cub because it wasn't done in a podcast studio. It was obviously done on Zoom, but the stories are inspiring and the lessons are incredible. Enjoy the show. Thank you all again for being here today for this very special conversation that that we're we're going to have. The purpose of today is to bring uh, more awareness um, and real awareness to the crisis that's currently happening um, in the Ukraine and in particular to our fellow Ukrainian business owners. Um, My friend Sergei, uh, who is the uh, head and CEO of the CEO CEO Club Ukraine, um, has uh, helped put this uh, event together. Uh, he's a leader in this space um, and um, and um, uh, has uh, found some of his members uh, to be here today. And I want to thank everyone that's here. I want to start by thanking Sergey, uh, Nina, Igor, Alexander, Yuri, and Arzi. Um, thank you from 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 Cub, uh, which is basically CEO Club Ukraine, except uh, we're the Australian version. So uh, thank you all for your time. I can imagine you don't have uh, much, of, much of it at the moment. Um, it's my hope that this conversation um, results in uh, not just more awareness uh, to what is happening, but uh, with a way for us to be able to, to know how to assist and to help uh, the cause and to spread the message of, of the Ukrainian people. Um, Sergey, uh, I'd love to start with yourself uh, an introduction. Yeah. Uh, hi, everybody. Uh, thank you for joining it, uh, this event. For us, it's very important uh, to have uh, your support, your attention. And uh, our goal is to share with you uh, our experience, how we, I would say, how we survive, uh, how we uh, fight and how we live in this situation as uh, entrepreneurs as business leaders. So I am president and founder of CEO Club Ukraine. Uh, we uh, are, uh, our club is uh, <laughs> 10 years old. Uh, we uh, unite uh, 200 business leaders from uh, large and medium companies. 
Our club is uh, quite uh, known in the country. Oh, we are very active uh, uh, contributor to the development of our country. We organized before the war more than 100 events per month, per year. So after the war started, it was uh, on the February 24. Uh, our life uh, changed significantly. Everything changed. So we uh, turned, uh, our community turned into a separate army, I would say. Uh, and we focused, uh, uh, we focused how to uh, help our country, our army, our civilians, uh, first of all, to survive. Because at the beginning uh, of all this uh, situation, uh, it, it wasn't so clear how the situation will continue. That is why uh, our goal was to survive at the beginning. Uh, so uh, uh, the whole CEO club team, all 20, 230 members, um, were divided into different uh, groups, and uh, each groups uh, each group uh, is uh, focusing and responsible for different uh, job. For example, uh, one of the group uh, is focused for fundraising. Uh, second group is focus for logistic, uh, third for for procurement, uh, coordination with defense forces, PR and cyber operations, evacuation support, etc. Uh, so, at, uh, from the first days of the war, we uh, launched also fundraising campaign uh, called uh, Save Ukraine, and we uh, raised uh, more than uh, 10 million dollars, uh, mainly among our members and partners uh, within the club and around the club. And all those money were sent uh, uh, to purchasing different uh, necessary ammunition uh, uh, for our soldiers, etc. Also, as far as uh, from the uh, first days of the war, there was a shortage of different uh, ammunition. Again, first of all, protective ammunition. We started new production in the western part of the country, uh, and uh, we already produced more than um, 30,000 uh, items of uh, uh, bulletproof vests, and uh, we passed it to our army free of charge. So we we uh, we are fully focused uh, on helping our country, and in the same time uh, we are focusing how to uh, support our economy and our businesses. So today uh, we are going to share with you how we do uh, this. Thank you, Sergei. It's amazing to hear how. Uh, how you're using community uh, to how businesses are coming together to support the country. And, and again, thank you so much. And uh, Nina, would you like to uh, do a short introduction? Yes, thank you, Daniel. I'm Nina Dombrovska, and I have around uh, 20 years of corporate experience behind uh, me. Uh, I was till August last year, I was heading the uh, business of Henkel in Ukraine. Uh, it was a business of around $200 million turnover and about 1,000 employees. So since August last year, I've decided to um, go start something on, on my own. Um, so I had um, around four projects that I launched as a startup over this last half a year. 
And unfortunately, with this war, most of them are fully stopped. One of my fashion retail business was in Retroville. This is a shopping mall that was bombed near Kiev. With the other one, I had production in Bucha. So you can imagine what happened to, to the premises of this business. So um, I am currently in this situation where all these uh, startups are stopped and I'm looking for another in a way, restart. And I'm also leading the business diplomacy project of Sail Club Ukraine. So I am in the lead to contact other countries. So that is in a very short, uh, my story. And I'm looking forward to, to your questions. Thank you so much, Nina. Igor. Yeah, uh, I work in the entertainment industry. Uh, my company runs uh, the network of family entertainment centers all around Ukraine. We have more than uh, 250 employees, and uh, most of our locations are situated in the eastern and southern part uh, of Ukraine. So we were affected from the very first hours of, of the war, and uh, we see it with uh, our lives, uh, with our eyes, with the eyes of our employees. Thank you, Igor. Alexander. Thank you, Daniel. Hello to everybody. My name is Alexander Pitenko. I'm a member of uh, CEO Club Ukraine for already more than three years. And my professional background is mainly about logistics, investments, advisory, and startups. I'm a shareholder of a major Ukrainian logistics company. I'm investor in a number of uh, small and medium enterprise funds. I'm a corporate governance advisor of a leading catering company in Ukraine and the founder and CEO of a logistics technology startup with the computer vision technology in its heart. So this is the... Thank you, Alexander. Thank you. Yuri. Thank you, Daniel. And I would like also to thank everybody for joining us today. It's such a you know, tough times for us. Uh, my background, my business is diversified from hospitality, real estate, uh, e-commerce, um, IT, and, and, and finance. Uh, for example, one of my businesses, we are a market leader um, in uh, books in Ukraine as well, which is a vertically integrated company from import publishing to number one e-commerce with 3 million um, uh, customers. In terms of uh, real estate, it's mainly commercial and hospitality. And before the war, some of the valuations were up to $100 million. And plus, um, in addition to being involved with the CEO club, I'm a member of the board of Canada-Ukraine Chamber of Commerce and a lot of other uh, groups um, basically playing a role in activity in the country. Uh, once the war started, uh, things changed, and we're going to talk about it. And in addition to all the activities that Sergey mentioned with the CEO club, I'm also part of one of the uh, initiators and, and a committee on one of the coordination headquarters for one of the oblasts, also helping the uh, doing things with the military, also have a medical uh, charity, and as well my own tactical team, where we're involved in various things from helping with diapers to dealing with special forces and uh, doing you know some things. So uh, as of today, we're sort of fully diversified. Thank you, Yuri. And finally, Azi. Thank you so much, Daniel. Thank you all for having us and your genuine interest. My name is Arzi, and I'm here to proudly testify to CEO Clubs Ukraine 
commitment to social responsibility. For me personally, the war unleashed eight years ago in 2014, as I'm originally from Crimea and the Crimean Tatar, and I had to survive um, Russian occupation. And this is why I had to move to Kiev and start cooperating with CEO clubs social initiatives and uh, hopefully I'm going to have a chance to tell you more about that because uh, one thing that I'm very proud about Ukrainian business community is that for them the impact it is not only important to make profit but it is also very important to make a real impact and hopefully we will have a chance to talk about that more. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rousey. Um Guys, let's move straight to the questions and um, the, the first thing I wanted to ask was did you did you believe that a Russian invasion would or could occur in our modern times? Was this something you're expecting, or was this something unexpected? Thank you, Daniel. I will I will take this question to begin with. It, you know, if you will ask most of the people, including myself, I think the answer to this would be no. We were not expecting something like this. Um, simply because we just couldn't believe that something like what we read in the books about the World War II could happen to us, could start being on our streets, could start happening to our families. This was definitely not something we could even think of, to be honest. Um, however, if you step back and you look at the historical perspective uh, of the events, then this is not something completely unexpected, and this is also something that happened in the history. Today, we are actually celebrating, today is the 18th of May, and in 1944, on this day, the Crimean Tatars were uh, deported from Crimea by then the Soviet Union, which is also another form of genocide. So for instance, in this form, it has already happened on our territory and there are more other examples that this has happened. So when you step a little bit back from this and you look at the history, we probably should have in a way um, expected it and get prepared for it. This is like most of us feel. Also, is, um, we had an interesting event in SEO Club. It was about a couple of weeks before the war. There was an American war journalist visiting us, and the audience asked him why so many questions about uh, this situation are asked outside of Ukraine and inside Ukraine. It's a bit quiet. And I remember his answer. He said, you are in the middle of hurricane, and in the middle of hurricane, you don't feel it. And even then, we didn't really take it seriously because we couldn't believe this will happen to us. So that's, from my side, maybe someone wants to add from my colleagues. I guess the lesson is that uh, even in today's com comfortable times or world, uh, even if something seems far-fetched, if it happened in history, it can, it can happen again in present. Yes, that's true. We live in some sort of a thing that it, seems nothing can happen to our chair, to our house. It seems to be very stable, but in fact, it is not. I would add just a few words to what Nina said, that uh, really uh, not that much we believed until uh, 2014, mm -hmm. uh, where the annexation of Crimea happened. Uh, after that, it changed completely, uh, personally for me. And uh, to my opinion, it um, very much depends on uh, what people from both sides put into the word invasion. Because as for Ukrainians, this is an absolute act of aggression 
and for Russians is a kind of help, they say, or even liberation uh, from a mythical Nazis uh, by military means. That is absolutely uh, inappropriate and unacceptable. But going back to the history, as Nina also mentioned, we see that so-called liberation uh, as a common imperial approach from Russians uh, was uh, so many times upon our history. But what happened? That it's human, I think, that uh, uh, to hope for the best and the majority of population in Ukraine didn't want to believe uh, that the full-scale war should start or would start. That, that's, the, that's the problem. That's why it and so, and so it came as a shock when it went Absolutely. Did, Absolutely. And Yuri, did you want to add to that? Yeah, I, I, just, I just would like to say a few things to help to understand this uh, even better. So when you try to analyze from mathematics and business logic, of course, it's surprising because there was no business logic. Because even when aggressor wants to achieve something, there has to be a logic of a game. Mm -hmm. And there has been no logic. So that's why it was a surprise. When you go into the history, as it was already addressed, it's not a surprise at all because uh, Russia was always uh, not breathing well towards the Ukrainian side. And me personally, I was not surprised because from 2014, as Arzi also correctly pointed out, I was already helping you know, our military and, and other aspects. And therefore, uh, what happened on 24th of February it's a severe exponential growth of aggression uh, in invasion of our country. Thank you. Thank you. And, 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 and how has this invasion impacted your lives? Now, I mentioned to you guys prior, I felt like that was a silly question because, of course, it's impacted your lives and businesses in a, in a tremendous way. But I think it would be um, extremely beneficial for, for people like us on the other side of the planet um, to hear your individual uh, detailed um, impacts of, of your life and, and, and how it's changed because of this invasion. Okay, Daniel, let me start. Uh, uh, it did impact much, really, uh, because for me personally, I had never imagined that I would wake up my 15 years old son at 5 a.m. on 21st of February with the words, uh, hey son, please wake up. Uh, the war has begun in uh, 2022. Um, but taking into consideration uh, all the warning that came from uh, the West uh, of a possible full-scale aggression, uh, we had our things ready for displacement and moved quickly to Western Ukraine the same day. And after that, we sent our children to European Union, to different countries, uh, to Hungary, to Switzerland, for their safety and uh, our uh, relative calmness, let's say. Almost all my businesses have been put on hold from the very beginning of the war. Uh, and I fully dedicated myself uh, to volunteering. Uh, as I already mentioned, my professional background is mainly about logistics. And I could state it responsibly that the related infrastructure has been hardly damaged in Ukraine, with lots of roads, bridges, trucks, uh, warehouses totally ruined. Uh, for example, a major warehouse of my partner uh, logistics company was totally burned down uh, as a result of a missile attack. Uh, and at this warehouse, new rich trucks, electric trolls equipped with brand new mobile video cameras of my own startup has been totally lost too. So we even put it, uh, we closed the business there. And now we, together with my partners, we try to put some businesses uh, back to life. 
but still uh, I'm very much involved into logistic volunteering project uh, under the initiative of the CEO Club uh, Ukraine, uh, which is aimed on supplying crucially needed uh, uh, medicines and uh, other materials to the defenders and civilians across the country. And so what has happened if businesses have paused is, and, and the government is obviously occupied and very busy, ha, ha, what is happening with staff at the moment? Is, is everybody mobilising towards the army or, or what are people able to do or how are businesses able to, how are you able to, are you able to continue running your businesses or no, you're not? It depends, Daniel, it depends on the business because as, uh, as I'm um, quite a diversified uh, businessman, so some, some businesses just, uh, just um, we, uh, we stopped uh, because uh, no perspective of, of, of deploying them. For example, like um, funding of uh, small and medium enterprises because during the war, because in Ukraine we have now a special legislation, a war-related legislation that uh, puts some bans on what you can do. So you cannot get some, some, uh, some, uh, some things. And other businesses, they are, they are running, like logistics, for example, because you should move uh, things, you should move yeah. uh, goods from, uh, from uh, into the country. So it depends much on the business. And in terms of staff, some, some people are mobilized to the army. And uh, much of our employees, they are um, participating in different uh, volunteering projects, as I already mentioned in my logistic project too. And guys, for the next question, this is something I was incredibly curious about is when there's this type of um, crisis happening, um, how hard is it to actually think about your business uh, when there's so much more on the line, when there's so much more at danger? Uh, are you able to keep your business uh, at the forefront of your mind? Is, is, you know, they say sometimes business owners, your business is part of you or it's like a child or it's a, you know, I, how easy is it to keep your business at the forefront of your mind? Or how difficult is that? I can I can start for for example from um, from my side, and I just would like to say maybe two things. First of all, um, we 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 came into the situation not from uh, sunny beach times to start with, because we've already been dealing with a lot of situations. Another thing I would like to say from my personal view. In my businesses, I have been trying uh, to follow the approach, not uh, shareholder capitalism and focusing only on the bottom line or net income, but on a stakeholder capitalism, you know, thinking about people, thinking about values and principles, like whether it's creating a new ecosystem in real estate or, you know, or helping uh, empower people by my other business and helping Ukraine to become the most free nation. So there has been always about values. And now when we enter this new phase of aggression, um, our diversification has enhanced even further and operating in danger that added deeper responsibilities. And, uh, you know, we have to deal with a lot of difficult security situations as well, not to name all of them, but we stay in the core. I mean, and, and we're staying with the same vision so it's not like business is aside and the bottom line i think it's it's about principles and values and the wars actually bring out the naked truth uh, and and uh, so everything is based now on the core principles and and the true values and so what is what you're saying that a crisis like this or the, the war is uh, showing who is uh, who which ukrainians have 
uh, Ukraine at their heart. Which Ukrainians or which international partners or uh, it's showing who is who. I mean, for us, as I said, since we're coming not from the soft times, it's not the initial shock for us, but it's just uh, it's another chance to reinstate, you know, the truth of the matters and who is a true partner and uh, where you have to be careful. And what what are you able to do to keep... um, your staff employed in some situations and to even keep the business operating. Let's say if it is a business that uh, was affected by, by a particular region that had been invaded or, or, or an industry. I'll take this one. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, uh, some of our venues are located in the eastern, southern part of Ukraine. So uh, they were either completely destroyed or uh, one venue is located in the in the city of Kherson, uh, which is now taken over by Russians. Uh, and it has an unforeseeable uh, future because uh, we don't know what will happen next with the city and how we will be able to have this property. And that's it. So uh, concerning how we operate now, uh, one other our venue is located in the central part of Ukraine. Uh, in the city of Cherkasse. And uh, a couple of weeks uh, before we have an opportunity to open this venue. But uh, we had a long discussion uh, within our team uh, with an ethical question, is it ethically good to open uh, the entertainment business while the many Ukrainians are dying, the, the kids are running away and they are refugees. And uh, we decided to try. Uh, the reason was the following. First of all, uh, we wanted to support our employees uh, by paying uh, the salaries to them. Uh, second point was uh, that we wanted to pay the taxes and uh, support our, uh, our country. And uh, our third point was that we offer the kid birthday parties to, to the children. And uh, what might be better than the smile of a kid to the, send to the soldier which is on the front line and uh, fighting for our, for our country. So yeah, we decided to try to do that and we are already operating for about a month. And I would like to stra- uh, stress that it's not about the business, it's more about uh, supporting our our employees and uh, our country yeah, about the contribution but it, it's still it's amazing to see how the, the business mind can can uh, can find a way to still contribute in in a situation like this and and just for for us in australia what you described is quite literally uh, our office is in sydney sydney's gone now it's been it's been taken your, your office is no longer in sydney and i think putting it that way for us is it makes it um or you know Melbourne, it's uh, unfortunately you can't work in Melbourne anymore. And I think when we're thinking about it like that in Australia, that's that's a very it's a big it's a big thought. Uh, thank you, thank you for uh, for sharing that, uh, Igor. And uh, guys, to, for the next question, um, uh, as leaders, as 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 leaders and, and business people, uh, people look up to you, whether it be your your staff, your team, and your families. Is there a message that you've been delivering over and over to, to, to your, perhaps even just to your staff? Is there a core message that you've been trying to send that, to help, that gives them some sort of confidence or guidance? 
Okay, I will add a little bit uh, to that. So uh, our first priority on the first days of war was uh, the safety of our employees. And uh, thanks God we didn't uh, have much this uh, awful stories, uh, except probably one when we lost uh, the connection with our key team member for almost a month. And uh, he was caught by the Russian soldiers and told, tortured and uh, luckily he managed to escape. And then he was uh, sitting with his family in the basement of his house for, for almost three weeks, hiding without electricity, food and water. So like from the first, in the first months, our first priority was uh, safety and uh, lives and health uh, with our employees. Now we are trying to, to support them by paying salaries. Yeah, and, and our next point was that we decided uh, to give them the feeling of safety by paying them a three-month salary in advance. But the problem was uh, that all our accountants were hiding uh, in, the, in the bomb shelters and they, they had no like, internet connection. And the only person was uh, me who had a stable internet connection. And I was sitting, remember my sitting for uh, three days uh, calculating and making the payments for every single employee out of uh, 250. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and now we are, we, we are, as I've mentioned, we are trying to give them a job, we are trying to give them a sense of future, and we are giving them quite a clear, quite fair message to them that uh, we can pay as much as we earn. So uh, people agree to work like half salary, half their usual salary, and it's uh, well, okay with them. Yeah, that's you're, do you're doing what you can do. In terms yeah, exactly. of financials and in terms of message, in terms of uh, perhaps comfort or motivation, is there is there a message you're saying? Perhaps um, you know we'll, we'll fight this together. We're, we're going to do what we can. Is there a, a motivating message that you've been delivering them? We're trying to convey the point that uh, the company will stay uh, with our employees as long as uh, the company the company will exist. Yes. So we are uh, we are also supporting those who went to the military forces, the ammunition, the the safety uh, things, and all this stuff. Yeah, and it's that sense of security. At least they've got this that some security in their life, which is that they're not being forgotten by their by their employer. Has this invasion has it put other adversities into perspective has it could, could even be covert but or any the many adversities that we go through as business people has this put all the others into perspective and and um, made you realize that uh, not all adversities are actually real adversities i can i can start with uh, with, with this one um and afterwards uh, sergey was raising your hand so afterwards if you can go to sergey but um just to start with something that i already preliminary mentioned that we're coming not from you know uh just you know easy times or from the beach sunny times into this crisis because ukraine if you look at the recent history even last 15 years uh, let's not take longer we turned many more uh pages uh, of history than some countries go in generations you know from various crises, from uh, uh, all types of crises, our own revolutions. And these revolutions were kind of first steps on the roadmap of our independence. 
uh, it's so connected because this is how gradually we were stepping out from this uh, Russian soft invasion this way, whether it's economical power or something else. Again, this is not the first shock for us, but all this tough history, I think, prepared everybody much better for the things. And I think it's very interesting. As I mentioned, it brings out naked truth. Uh, it's very interesting how we already solidified our fundamental filter through which we value things and analyze potential counterparties or partners. Therefore, we'll rebuild the country definitely without true partners outside or inside. And just one additional message that I wanted to say, it's not only about my team members, employees, it's to everybody. Um, this situation is long term and everybody has to be focused. That's why I tell my, my, my team uh, that we have to be prepared psychologically and otherwise long term. And if and when hopefully something happens earlier in the language of business, this is going to be pleasant upside for all of us. And this is and this is what makes endurance for all of us much better when we go day by day through these situations. Thank you, Yuri. And, and Sergey, did you did you have something to add? Yeah, I wanted to add to your previous question because you raised critical times, and uh, in the, in such critical moments, uh, there is a lot of, uh, there is a lot of panic and disorientation among people, and the role of leadership is very important, uh, is critical. That is why uh, our president uh, shows us uh, how to do this. He demonstrates the right way of leadership in such a situation. Uh, what does it mean? Uh, he did, he do communication every day. Every day at the end of the day, our president uh, deliver us uh, 10 minutes of speech about what happened today, what's going on. And it is very important because uh, Maybe it is difficult to imagine, uh, but uh, we don't think about tomorrow. Every day when we wake up, we think how to survive today. And I don't know what will happen in 10 minutes. And in such situation, uh, there are a lot of events every day, uh, critical events. And uh, uh, the role of leaders and uh, uh, to communicate uh, regularly and clearly what's going on. And uh, such communication give people uh, calm and give people some uh, gui guidance, uh, guidance of what, what to do. I think the lesson is that in times of crisis, increased regular communication from leadership is, is, is essential for people's security and, and comfort. And that actually leads me to, to my next question, which was, um, what is one of the biggest lessons that you've uh, taken from this experience? What's something you've learned from this experience um, that perhaps you may have, uh, that perhaps may be a, a, a new realization or may have even been uh, something you knew but you had never seen in practice? So, a greatest yeah. lesson from this I can I, I can continue because I already started, and maybe my colleagues will add something. Uh, first lesson, everything can always go wrong. Uh, you can't be 100% sure of anything. You must always be ready for, uh, for any situation. Second, uh, very important conclusion, your social capital. Uh, 
because in the situation of uh, crisis of war, when uh, the institutions doesn't work well, when you can't uh, find uh, food, uh, I don't know, uh, some uh, petrol, you can you can't find anything. Social capital is very important. Uh, I think uh, a social capital which we created before, I mean our personal networks, uh, our personal relationships, our trust with other people is the most valuable resource during such a crisis. And not even uh, uh, when the war happened, but I think in different situation uh, and uh, this uh, for example our uh, CEO club and our community uh, because uh, we had this uh, trust among us this network we uh, uh, executed I think uh, hundreds and thousands of different uh, important uh, tasks for uh, uh, for our country for our soldiers and uh, for our families so, uh, uh, and uh, third, uh, third conclusion, quick decision, quick uh, decision making. Uh, because uh, some of our colleagues, I mean, uh, member of our clubs, when the war started, some of them uh, analyzed what happened, what uh, they have to do, and they lost moment uh, of uh, leaving the city. For example, one of our members stayed with his family, with his children for one month in Bucha, uh, in basement, because he, he, he took a lot of time to, to make a decision. So quick decision making is very important. And uh, as I said before, uh, leadership role uh, also critical, because uh, when bomb uh, going on your cities, People don't think about anything. They are disorientated. Uh, they, they have disorientation. That is why should be someone who uh, who shows the way, what to do and where to go. Uh, maybe my colleague will, will add something. What kind of thank conclusion? you, Sergey? Uh, I would I would add that um, beside what Sergey mentioned, uh, my greatest lesson. Uh, of this time is the big heart of everybody I knew and I know now because of their help, because of their involvement uh, in all that uh, job and activities I'm doing and the people around me are doing. Because uh, it's amazing. People losing their homes, their personal belongings, they are displacing their families by but they still are ready to help in any situation. They are ready to work, as Sigurd said, uh, on half a salary, without salaries, providing whatever they can with all their efforts and resources. This is absolutely amazing. And uh, I had never uh, met a situation where a person said, no, I will not do this because uh, it's not uh, my way. Big heart of Ukrainians, this is the greatest lesson uh, in this time. Thank you, Alexander. The next question, actually, I can see many of our members in Australia are, are posting similar things, which is how, how are we able to help or how are, how are foreigners able to help? What, what can we do 
um, to help this cause and to, to support you, your families, your teams and, and your, your countrymen? Thank you, Daniel, for this question. Uh, I want to start here with saying that we do need your help. As you have probably sensed from some of our stories, the situation is very difficult and we don't know where and how it will end. The resources within Ukraine are running out and uh, therefore we reach to the business communities of the world and we are looking into a different ways um, that uh, you can help. We are looking um, to fundraise money for a certain projects and RZ will talk about it in, in more detail, but we are also looking for connections with you uh, that can help some of the businesses that are operating maybe to continue to operate. Uh, maybe, um, I don't know, some of your businesses would be interested to purchase Ukrainian goods. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we are also looking for a specific help on a specific project. So let's say there are very different ways that uh, individuals or businessmen can help. And we prepared a few things for you specifically so you can learn more about it. And I will now pass the word to Arze. Thank you, Nina. Yes. Thank you so much, Nina. Thank you so much, Daniel. Uh, I would totally support what Nina is saying about there being more than just one way of helping. And as Sergei has already mentioned, the CEO Club of Ukraine started the initiative to raise money from the very first days of full-scale invasion. But what is really important to understand here that this war did not start on the 24th of February, it actually started eight years ago. And all of this time, uh, both business community and the government, they were fighting against Russian aggression. What is happening now is just um, a larger scale invasion. And one of the lessons that we have to learn is that no compromise can be reached in this situation because having Minsk agreements, for instance, uh, is just postponing the actual war, postponing the actual um, conflict as we can see this now in retrospective. So it is now very clear that Ukraine must win in this because we are not only fighting for Ukraine itself, we are fighting for the freedom and for the global stability, for not allowing dictatorships and uh, authoritarian regimes to rule over. And uh, bringing back to what you specifically could do is that there are many ways to help, not only the financial way, and I'm still going to talk about this, but uh, it is very important to understand that we have the support, not only in words, but uh, by providing different partnerships, by supporting Ukrainian manufacturers by providing what you are, for instance, doing and providing that for pro bono basis. Um, one of the initiatives of the CEO Club Ukraine was uh, the fund subordinate Ukraine, and I'm going to uh, have a little bit more on that. So uh, we are aiming at many different uh, areas, and one of them is actually humanitarian aid. We also believe that it is very important to have the foundation and have the basis for sustainable development. And we believe that it is very important to support kids in that. Unfortunately, there are many instances in which kids have suffered. And one of the areas in which the club uh, Ukraine is assisting that, and uh, this is the plan to born in Ukraine. We are now uh, supporting the families of um, 
the deceased Ukrainian defenders who died uh, fighting for our country. And this is a site area uh, that we are focusing on of the fund. We actually have the history that traces back to 2015 when the first atrocities just started and we had to support um, the defendants who died there. And I'm going to just give you a well overview of the two stories that we have. However, there are many more of them. And unfortunately, there are going to be more of those. Uh, some of the families that we help at the moment, they receive direct help from suburban Ukraine from, uh, financially. And their father, the immense, of course, uh, father died in October 2014. This is when uh, the invasion, the hybrid invasion of that time just started. And uh, their father died while protecting the Natsuk airport. And this was a huge atrocity. And then the family had to move to Kherson. And then after the February 24th, we see that her son is now occupied and they had to flee her son once again. So this is a family who suffered from Russian aggression twice. And these are some of the words that uh, the mother of this family is sharing with us since we've been providing them with financial support since then. And the problem is that there are so many families that have suffered more than just once. And uh, another family, the family of uh, the Batros, is another example of that. Their father died in 2015 while protecting Levant. And then the family uh, spent all of their savings to buy an apartment in Bucha, in Kiev region. And it was again destroyed and they had to live in shelters for a long time. There are many ways that uh, they need help, but we believe that it is very important to provide them with financial support for us for now because they have to uh, sustain themselves. They have to take care of themselves as they have to flee to a different region without any uh, means to leave. And if you are interested in helping, feel free to approach us, feel free to Google support in Ukraine and find ways that we could help as a partnerships manager, and fundraising manager at Suborna Ukraine. I'm always open to any kind of uh, partnerships. You may donate directly following the QR code that we have here, or feel free to uh, reach out to me and I will be happy to discuss some of the other ways that we could cooperate and uh, help Ukraine fight for itself and fight for the whole system of global security. Thank, thank you, Azi, and, and I'm sure Absolutely. everybody here today um, will, will be contributing to, to, to your cause. But I'm certain the um, the 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 rest of our community here in Australia in Cub will also support. So we'll be we'll be sharing this with absolutely everybody. Now, I wanted to open up questions to our members um, who uh, I know have been asking, and I wanted to start uh, actually. Um, Karma, you, you asked first. Would you like to ask a, a question to start? Thank you so much for sharing. Feeling very moved. Thank you. Um, I, obviously, you're unaware that the, the Australian media are covering the war extensively. Um, I wake up in the morning and I look at the first thing I look at is what's happening in Ukraine. When I go to bed, I look at what's happening in Ukraine, which is a wonderful thing. This is not normal. We're a long way away from the rest of the world and we can tend to be very self-absorbed. But what I'm really interested in is what is the story that you think that we might be missing at the moment? So, um, you know, what are we not hearing? 
we're getting a lot of the surface stuff. We're getting a lot of stuff about what is the EU doing. Uh, we're getting a lot of flexing of muscle stories from what's happening in Russia. But I, I would be really interested in uh, how it is for you on the ground of things that you think that we might not know at the moment. Or do you um, also do you feel hopeful mm. at all? Um, Nina, did you want to did you want to take that? Yeah. I can start and then I will pass to uh, to Arze. Um, I think um, what you don't know, and maybe we hope you you learn something for us today, that we basically, for us, it's something we have to live through and we have to get used to. And um, it is very hard. And uh, for Ukraine, uh, giving its um, economical power and military power, the only way for us is to survive is when the world will help us. And this help, uh, it seems to be there declared, but what is happening in real life, it's still to happen because a lot of weapons have not yet come. We are not really able to, um, to do something about the bombs that reach all the cities of Ukraine. So there is a declared support and a lot of information. But in reality, Ukraine is not able to turn around this situation yet. So that's the main thing. Um, Nina, before, before we started... Uh, we were talking about um, uh, we were talking about um, uh, this particular question, which was uh, which was how does it differ from the media to 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 the inside? Is is global help actually helping, or what, what what's missing? I think this would be a good that would be a good um, uh, I guess uh, answer to bring up. Yes, so what, what is missing is the speed and maybe quantities in order to turn this around because Ukraine has a big territory. So you need, unfortunately, a lot of uh, weapon and a lot of uh, financial help. So, for instance, the Ukrainian GDP is going to fall by 50% um, this year. And so you can imagine the amount of people that are out of uh, uh, work, etc. So there is also a lot of things. Uh, we also have to be honest that a lot of things were done by European countries, especially by our neighbors, by taking millions of Ukrainians uh, um, and giving them shelter. So a lot has to be done, was done, but unfortunately we need more of this. And that is the that is the challenge I think everyone is facing because we are used to live in a modern life. We get tired of problems. We want to, to stop them. We want to switch off this television and, uh, and go back to our normal lives. But unfortunately, in Ukraine, we cannot do this. So we have to continue and we have to continue with support. Uh, Arze, would you like to add? Yeah. You had a hand Yeah, up. I absolutely would. Uh, thank you so much. I would say that there are three main points that the Western media is missing out on the situation in Ukraine. And the number one is the reasons of the whole invasion, because I still see some of the headlines that saying that it is NATO that provoked Russian aggression, which in reality is absolutely not true. With or without NATO, Russia would still be doing that. And now you can see that that uh, it is actually not the, the point. Uh, 
Russia has always had uh, borders with other NATO countries and it has not been a problem. The problem is that uh, they are so unhappy with Ukraine choosing to no longer be uh, initiated and no longer be associated with Russia that Ukraine chose the European way of development, that they are angry at this and they want to fight this. The second one, I would say, is uh, the idea that it is better to stop the war by giving up on Ukrainian land. And this is something that uh, really makes me very angry when, for instance, uh, even the French president suggests giving up some of Ukrainian land just to stop the war. What you are missing here is that we once did that, and it was the situation with Crimea. Um, literally, we allowed this uh, region to be occupied for eight years and see what's happened next. So it is not uh, an answer. Giving up some land just for the sake of saving Putin's face is not the solution, because in this case, you're just making the aggressor more eager to take more and more, and then nothing's going to stop them. The only way to stop this is to stop Russia in the battlefield. And the third one is that, unfortunately, many of the best Western media and many of the Western um, NGOs are addressing the outcome of this by providing humanitarian aid, and they do not want to contribute to the military uh, ways. I do understand that this might be a problem for some people, but you have to understand that by dealing with refugees, by providing support to refugees, you're only dealing with the consequences, but the reason itself is still there. So the problem itself is still there. And if we do not fight back, if we do not get enough weapons to counterattack, if we do not have enough power to gain back the territory, then there will be more and more refugees and the situation is going to worsen. And then in the long term, it is so much worse for the economic uh, global situation that uh, to have this conflict, to have this war prolonged, than it is to uh, cut down on uh, every energy resources that the world is taking from uh, Russia to um, implement full embargo on this. And in the short term, it might be difficult, but in the long term, still the whole world is going to win from that. Thank, thank you, Azi, and thank you, Karma. That was an excellent uh, question. And just because we don't have too much time, um, I, I, we will ask just a couple more questions. And uh, Nikki, did you have a question you wanted to ask? Hi, yes, I had a couple of questions, actually. Um, I think the last one, um, just based on Igor's uh, story around having to pay his employees because his accountants was in the bunker, was incredible and got me thinking about, um, do you think that the stability of the Ukrainian banks are at risk and do you um, have some risk mitigation strategies around that? I can maybe shortly answer. So the banking system has been surprisingly good so far. So all the operations are working. Also, some measures are being taken to ensure that. So the exchange rate is managed and also you are not allowed to take money out of the country. So that is the price paid for this sort of instability so far. There was also, I saw there was a question on the exchange rate. So there was um, devaluation, but it has not been huge. Um, so it was a thing around 10, 15%, something like this so far, but it is being managed and probably this economic impact on this will 
it's just going to be delayed. It comes later. Also, the fuel, uh, that is the biggest problem because so much fuel was destroyed. It's now almost, it depends, but two, three times more expensive than it used to be in the country. Uh, with regard to mitigation measures, since the finances are blocked, so you can do, you cannot do much. So you, I think there is not much um, you can do. So if you are a cash rich company, if you have funds, uh, uh, you can do, or you have your mother company outside of Ukraine, then this helps. But if you are out of money and out of help, then it's not much as a business you can do. Thank you. And just for the final question, uh, George? Just generally, um, you know, on the back of uh, Nikki's sort of question, it's curious to, to, to think about how, how can you trade internationally if the banks don't allow funds to come out of the country? How do you get around that? And is there any way that, you know, that, you know, alliances overseas can somehow help if that is an obstacle? Now, if you trade, you can. Uh, it's that if you want to, if you have, for instance, your personal money and you want to take it out and buy a house in the other country, then it is difficult. But if you have, let's say, a trading partnership and also your product is not considered to be essential for survival of Ukraine, like, for instance, if it's not bread or fuel or something essential, then your export operations um, are not financially strained. You are able to do that. And I just would like to add, as Sergei mentioned from the beginning, that we became like an army of our own since we're helping the government to protect our country. Uh, we also try to push the government to uh, implement certain things to make sure that the trade and economical activities are happening. And there is certain terminology as critical goods. And we try to extend the list of so-called critical goods in order to, again, to make sure that the trade is happening. And plus, there are a lot of different initiatives. And as George, you correctly pointed out, the more international proper engagement we'll have, uh, the more proper trade diversification will be implemented as soon as possible. Thank you, Yuri, and thank you, everybody. And I think um, as a community here in Australia, uh, we're going to be supporting you as much as we can. I, I just made my uh, my contribution. I'm sure the rest of our club will make uh, their contribution. And, and, and more than that, we'll also be uh, spreading uh, spreading your message and word and, and spreading what the Ukrainian people need um, uh, across uh, all of our platforms. So I want to thank you all so much uh, once again for being here in the Ukraine, thank, a special thank you to Sergei for everything you do and, and for bringing, putting this together. Uh, I, think, I think it's very evident how important it is for us all to hear um, the, the real stories of what is, what is happening. And, and uh, you certainly have our support. Uh, we will be um, uh, connecting people to you and I'm sure myself and Sergei will also uh, stay in very close contact um, to, to, to take even further steps to help. So thank you all. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you Daniel. We feel your Thank support. You.